0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. So we got a new Apple Watch Ultra. It's a multi-day battery life. Actually a satellite connectivity. uh, And the new iPhone, you can point it to a satellite if you're out in the middle of nowhere and get uh, emergency services called. Um, Impressive technology, satellite connectivity. Uh, My goodness gracious, I might need to get the new phone with the satellite connectivity for a certain employee who, well, doesn't use a great cell phone provider. I keep trying to get him to move over to Patriot Mobile, and he hasn't yet. Nonetheless, I digress. Welcome. I want to talk about crime. I want to play—I actually was somewhat surprised to hear this on CNN from John Avalon. One of his monologues on on data today um, from, I think it's Pew Research. Listen to this from John Avalon. When the state legislature finally acted on criminal justice this summer, they decided to focus on semantics instead of solutions, officially replacing the term inmate with incarcerated person in state laws. Seriously, that's what they did. Now, sometimes... We forget that public safety is a fundamental civil right, and it's often lower-income neighborhoods that suffer the most from high crime, while wealthier neighborhoods stay relatively safe. In fact, black and Hispanic Democrats are more likely than white Democrats to support increased spending on local police. That's according to a Pew survey from late last year. Look, politicizing crime seeks to gain from other people's pain, but trying to ignore crime for ideological reasons is both callous and clueless, and it's sure to promote a political backlash. Yes, it is. And I want you to listen to this. So, uh, John Fetterman in Pennsylvania law as the Lieutenant governor of the state gets to appoint people to the board of pardon and paroles there. Listen to this appointee. One of the most glaring problems in Pennsylvania's legal system is that we have mandatory life without parole as a sentence for first and second degree murder. And we also have many people serving these excessively long virtual life sentences. But we deny people serving these sentences any substantial avenues for relief. This woman is upset at mandatory life sentences for first-degree murder. I'm upset it's not mandatory death penalty. Mandatory life sentences for first-degree murder. This is who John Fetterman put on the board of pardon and paroles in Pennsylvania. Fetterman also believes that you could let half the prisoners out of Pennsylvania prisons and be fine there. The Democrats continue their callous disregard for public safety. In Memphis, Tennessee, a teacher was out jogging a few days ago in the morning She was captured and murdered by a man who had been let out of prison early. He had been in prison for kidnapping, had been let out 85% of his sentence, served. He was eligible for release. And I'm reminded here in Georgia. The world's most prolific collector of child pornography. Now, y'all, I, I gotta this. This makes my blood pressure rise every time I talk about the story, and it's been a while since I've talked about the story. And you should know the Georgia legislature has done nothing on this. I, I, I gotta, I gotta talk to you about the story, and it's, Republicans are to blame for this. The world's most prolific collector of child pornography, and you need to know when I say that, you're thinking pictures. The man had more than 27,000 pictures and videos of children, not just being raped, but tortured. I need you to understand that. 27,000 pictures and videos. It wasn't just an image. It was a video. It wasn't a 17-year-old. A it wasn't a 16-year-old. It was a small child. Toddler in some cases, apparently. Being raped, tortured, and abused. The judge called him the world's most prolific collector of child pornography. The man set up video cameras in a TV station that he owned and put cameras under tables so he could see up the skirts of women and their children who came to the station in the family-friendly environment. It was so bad... And they showed at trial he had a compulsion. It wasn't just a, a, uh, it wasn't a fixation or anything. It was an actual compulsion to do this and to see these things. So the judge sentenced him to a thousand years in prison. A thousand years in prison he was sentenced. That's how bad it was. A thousand years he was sentenced to prison. And the Georgia Board of Pardon and Paroles let him out after seven years. He's on the streets of Atlanta today. And the people who are elected, the Board of Pardon and Paroles in Georgia is not elected. The people who are elected have done nothing. They've done nothing. They haven't impeached a single member of the Board of Pardon and Paroles for this. They'll pass laws to crack down on human trafficking, but they won't even inquire into how the world's most prolific collector of child pornography, who was sentenced to a thousand years in prison, could be let out of prison after seven years, when they showed in court he had a compulsion to do this. Our society increasingly does not take seriously a lot of violent crime. It's, I bring up the Georgia situation because it's not really a partisan point. Republicans want to make it a partisan point, and in fact, it is Democrats in Democratic cities who t- tend to be the lightest on crime, and you have George Soros-funded district attorneys who get elected to office who let the criminals out of jail. And we have a crime wave as a result. But you also have people like these on the Georgia Board of Pardon and Paroles who are appointed by Republicans who let out child predators and, and, and child pornographers and things like that because they don't take those crimes seriously. And I think to be intellectually honest, you've got to point it out on both sides. And to John Avalon's point there, uh, this will provoke a backlash It may not happen tomorrow, but it will happen, and I think we're having that backlash now. And I've got to tell you, my my personal view on this is that Republicans, if this is going to be a partisan issue, the Republicans need to focus more on this. It's not just the economy that's an issue. It is crime. You still have major Democrats in Congress, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, who want to defund the police. You have Democrats around America who want to defund the police. Stacey Abrams in Georgia sits on the board of a group that wants to defund the police. And there will be a voter backlash. And you know who gets hit the hardest. See, the Democrats want to convince you that uh, any sort of efforts to, to be tough on crime have racial motivations. Like, for example, profiling in New York City and stop and frisk in New York City that dramatically reduced crime. Mike Bloomberg was roundly attacked for people for sending the police into black communities. And doing stop and frisk there and, and cutting down crime. And, and, you know, he was attacked by people as racist for doing it. And his point was that we go where the crime is. We're not going where black people are. We're going where the crime is. It just so happens to be that's the black community. And guess what? Crime is down in the black community because we're doing this. He was vilified as a racist. In Edinburgh, no, it's Glasgow. Glasgow, Scotland. In Glasgow... They began, the police began, it's a city that's like 80 to 90% white. In certain areas of the city, they began essentially doing stop and frisk for knives because knife violence exploded in Glasgow, Scotland. And guess what happened? Knife violence rapidly declined in Glasgow. Knife violence collapsed in Glasgow. In London, they tried to do the same thing. And the police were vilified as racists. There's been a mass slaying of people with knives in London overnight. And the same thing happens in this country. The same thing happens in this country. You get you try to get tough on crime, you get vilified. The police aren't going where people non-white people live. They're going where crime is. And crime happens oftentimes in poorer areas of the city, oftentimes where non-white residents live. It's income more than it is race, but they're vilified as racist. And those communities are the ones that benefit by the police being tough on crime. And the good white saviors of the left come in and say, no, no, these police are racist. You don't even realize they're racist. No, actually what the neighborhoods realize is that they didn't have crime and now they do because of you. Something's got to give. And I think this is an area for the GOP. Mitch McConnell said the Republican closing argument is going to be this: Your lights, your powers going out. your grocery bill is going up. You're not safe in your neighborhoods. And your kids can't go to school without being indoctrinated. All of these things happening under Joe Biden. It's a well-rounded closing argument for the GOP as we head into the final campaign days. I think they got to do it. I, I, the Democrats want to focus on abortion and Donald Trump. That allows them off the hook. They, they, they don't have to play on defense on these other issues. They're trying to go on offense. The GOP needs to focus them, get them on defense over all of these issues, crime and education and the economy and inflation. Inflation isn't going to go away. And the economy is not going to rapidly improve. And it's time for the GOP To actually go on offense. It's time to go on offense here. It's time for the GOP to fight back on these issues instead of trying to defend Donald Trump and make excuses for Mar-a-Lago. And I think they're going to. And I think it puts the Democrats back on defense. And this gets back to John Avalon's point. You're starting to see black and Hispanic voters move to the right, not just on economic issues, but on issues of safety and issues of culture. And it's the Republican Party who can f- focus on these things, get, the, get them on their side, and they need to. It's common sense. It makes sense. It's a good governance platform. You don't have to agree with everything conservatives like me want. But you should at least be able to concede that the problems that exist now so often in this country on crime and education and the economy didn't exist when Donald Trump was president. But they festered under Democrats who thought it would be a good idea to chart a different course, and their courses failed us. It's time to get on that message, Republicans, and take this to November. Howdy! It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the show uh, this hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. You want to grow your business? You need large loans, $750,000 or more. Reach out to them. Firstlibertyga.com. Firstlibertyga.com. Tell them I sent you. It doesn't matter where your business is, as long as it's in the U.S., they can help you. Barack Obama has unveiled his uh, presidential portrait at um, the White House. The event has just happened. And uh, the Biden team is sniping at the Obama team, and the Obama team is sniping at the Biden team. I find it funny, but somewhat irrelevant. Um, that most of the Biden team actually used to be Obama team members, except for the Elizabeth Warren staffers, and they don't like Obama because they didn't think he went far enough. And now, Obama or Biden is going so far he's wrecking the economy. We maybe we will get to that. I I I wanna um. I want to talk about something else. A quarter of Democratic voters believe men can get pregnant. Twenty-five percent of Democratic voters believe men can get pregnant. More college-educated women than college-educated men of the Democratic Party believe it. So more women believe men can get pregnant than men believe men can get pregnant. It's bizarre. It's untruthful which is why I need to tell you about another story that you have probably heard of by now. A teacher in Ireland is jailed uh, because he's refused to use they, them pronouns for a boy. You've probably heard about the story. It's made international news, and conservatives have seized on it to say the man is in prison, Enoch Burke, was arrested Monday morning. But it's not true any more than it's true that men can get pregnant. This story is true, and this is what frustrates me about uh, a lot of what's going on in society. Beyond, it transcends partisanship. It's everybody has their truth as opposed to what the truth is. Let me tell you about the truth. It is true. Enoch Burke is a Christian teacher. He refused to use they, them pronouns for a male student, and he's been placed in prison. And if you read a lot of the conservative press, what you hear is that he's in prison because he used those pronouns, and that's simply not true. He was ordered by a court to not go to school while the matter is sorted out. It is true the initial precipitating event was his, use of his refusal to use preferred pronouns. But that's not why the court ordered him to go to jail. The court ordered him to go to jail because in the process of this lawsuit over his refusal to use plural pronouns for a singular male human being, the court said you can't go teach. You've got to be on administrative leave. And the man has continued to defy the court order and showed up at his school and sat in a classroom and has no class and has no students. And that's why he went to jail, because the court told him not to. And I'm deeply infuriated by people's ability to nuance and handle this argument because I'm getting angry conservatives. You should have his back. You should have his back. I got his back on the the pronouns. But, you know, you can stand on conviction and guess what? You're going to be persecuted. The persecution isn't right, but we should be truthful in why you're actually in jail. He's not in jail for a refusal to use pronouns. He's in jail because he defied a court order on trespassing at his school. And we need to be honest with these things because facts matter. In the same way, you and I can acknowledge that men cannot get pregnant we should be willing to acknowledge that the man is in jail not for a refusal to use pronouns, but because of a refusal to adhere to a court order about trespassing at his school. And it disturbs me that there are people on the right who are trying to make these stories as salacious as possible in large part because it discredits us on other stories. And our credibility at the end of the day matters more than so many things. And so when we're obfuscating or twisting the truth on one thing, people can accuse us of obfuscating or twisting the truth on other things. And in so doing, that then discredits us from our ability to call people to the truth of other matters. And I think people on the right and the left have lost that. The left, I think, lost it first. And I think really now the right is falling victim to that in this postmodern world. And we've got to be committed to the truth. The truth, not your truth, not my truth, but the actual truth of situations. Now, when we come back, we got to move on to other things. Uh, we got to talk some politics. But I also do, frankly, want to uh, talk about. What so are the things that's going on, the intersection of faith and politics in the country right now that, that I've been writing about. I wrote a post the other day, and it kind of blew up on me. I didn't expect it to, and I want to talk to you about it. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. New iPhone 14 Pro, baby. Yes, the Jesus phone. You know Jesus would have one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Jesus, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I gotta move on. I I I've I put this on the back burner. Um, because I I I've I got a topic I want to talk to you about. And it, it, I'm going to be very honest with you, to some degree, it's a little bit of filler because there isn't really a lot of pressing news today. And I got up this morning and went to breakfast with Herschel Walker, the GOP Senate candidate in Georgia, and really enjoyed the conversation. We went longer than what he or I intended it to go. And so I knew I was going to be a little bit behind in show prep, and it was going to be perfect because I wanted to talk to you guys about this topic. I didn't mean to write something on Sunday. And I wrote it, and it's kind of gone, I guess you could say, somewhat viral. If you subscribe to my email, you would have gotten it, whether you paid or not. That's why you should subscribe. You can text data to 33777 and subscribe. Uh, Paid subscriptions get a little bit more. You get the daily stack of stuff that I do for show prep and stuff. Uh, And today, you know, I guess I should look at the email because Philip usually puts it together for me, except when he's on vacation like he's going to be in two weeks and i got to actually do it again. But nonetheless, I sat down and I wrote this piece because I oftentimes uh, I'm a writer because i got to put stuff down to think about it. I got to read it. Does it make sense? Do I flesh it out? Which is kind of ironic considering I do a three hour radio show without a script. But I keep getting this question asked over and over. Now, you should know. And and I got to say this because I know, for example, those of you listening on uh, WDBO down in Orlando, I'm now noon to three there. I picked up a few more stations around the country, up in Montana. Um, um, stations coming in Tennessee and the like. So a lot of you may be listening, you're new, you're like, who the heck is this guy? i got to listen to this voice, really? Um, I, I, Let me just say that I i I have worked over the years to try to reorder my life so that I put my faith ahead of my politics. And as I've done that, i become more and more aware of how many people try to uh, squeeze their faith into their politics, and it just doesn't work that way. And the reason is because we're all sinners. We live in a fallen world. You can be a Christian and a Republican. You can be a Christian and a Democrat, I guess. Yeah, you can, I know, but I I would have issues. But you you can't be a Christian Republican. They're not the same thing. And if you think the Republican Party aligns with your Christian values, it doesn't. We've just gone through four years of a multiple adulterer who cheated on his pregnant existing wife with a porn star, not very Christian. It doesn't always align. And if you're offended by me saying that, you kind of, that's the point. You as a Christian should be able to hold everyone to a higher standard and not just conform to a tribe for tribal purposes. You got to put your faith first. And sometimes that means calling out your own side. But because I talk about these things regularly, I keep getting asked a question and it has come up more and more. It's like a small bit of snow rolling down a hill that picks up speed and becomes a giant snowball on the way down. And I'm, I'm hearing this more and more. Are we in the end times? What's going on on the planet? Things seem to be going off the rails so quickly and it seems to be picking up speed. Uh, I mean, how, wh- what date does Jesus come back? Well, at a theological level, yes, we are in the end times from the moment of resurrection. But two, we don't know what day is coming back. But three, yeah, I feel it too, y'all. These large volcanoes we've had around the world lately, there's a big story out now that uh, there's a 1 in 60 chance that in the next decade we're going to have a, another massive a volcanic explosion that we are like a thousand years past due for one and pressure seems to be building. Uh, Scientists can now measure gravitational changes under the planet and gravitational changes in the Pacific have started shifting patterns and they expect an underwater volcanic explosion, earthquakes and things like that happening around the world. It's only a matter of time before California gets another big one. Wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and famine, a lot of it guided by human public policy, where the creation has decided to become the creator and is screwing everything up. Yeah, I mean, it it sounds like it. But also this, eschatology is the – officially, that's the name of the study of the end of the earth, the study of the end times. And eschatology is the only theological area of study where people view it through their own present frame of mind. So if you were to read an es- uh, a book on eschatology in the early 20th century in Europe and read it in America from a different author, the European view was more pessimistic than the American view. You get into World War II, every book on eschatology written by a theologian was deeply pessimistic. The world is coming to an end. In the 1950s and 60s, Books by theologians in the West were deeply upbeat on eschatology, and here we are back again. We got war in Ukraine, China ready to invade Taiwan, economic instability, uh, the, the lights going off because of power problems. On and on it goes, and people are getting a sense that the world is coming to an end. Well, theologically it is. We just don't know when. We know there will be a final day. I mean, if I skip to the chase and get to the end of the story here, it's it's don't fret, you're on the winning team. You're going home. You're just passing through this place. Don't don't worry about it. You can't control it, so why worry about it? Now, if you're like me, my personal motto is: Why pray when I can worry? I got problems. Worrying's a sin, and it's what I do best. But there are a lot of people who are worried about it now. Getting into that, there's something else going on here, too, as, as I kind of think we're, we're almost headed to a new dark age where the world wants to be dependent on wind and solar energy again, just like the real dark ages. And I want to say going into this that I can run afoul of this. I can be guilty of this, and some of you will accuse me of being a hypocrite for even talking about it, but I got to talk about it. I've evolved in politics now because of my faith, and I really started doing this in 2016 and, and sooner. I, when I went to, when I, actually, when I started seminary, and I started seminary because I was getting asked to preach on weekends uh, because I talk about faith and culture on the radio a lot, and I thought, this is kind of weird. I've never been to seminary. I don't have theological training, so I should go to seminary, and then when all these little churches found out I was going to a reform seminary, they are like, yeah, we don't, really need you after all. So rarely do I get to preach. It's actually, I enjoy doing it. It's actually hard. Talk radio. I got to be honest with you. Talk radio is not hard. I thought everyone had the same, superpower that I do, which is I can talk for three hours about basically any topic nonstop and make it somewhat entertaining so that you don't fall asleep, run off the road and die. I mean, that would be terrible if you did. They'd take me off the radio. I just assumed everybody could do that. Apparently, very few people can. And frankly, some of the people who think they can do it aren't very good at it. But I can do it. But man, so I, I kind of like the challenge of preaching because one, you're going to hell fast if you're a preacher and you mislead people. Bible says so. But two, I actually got to work at it. I got to got to think about the public speaking. I j- can't just get up in the pulpit and wing it. But I I, I don't get asked a lot to do it anymore. Um, it, 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 since I went to seminary, I, I've enjoyed it. But I kind of think it's okay because here, this is my pulpit. You are my flock. I'll try not to lead you astray, or off I seventy five when you miss your turn. I, I'll I'll try not to. I'll try not to misdirect you. But nonetheless. In doing this, I, I kind of did become very mindful in seminary of how I, I'm. I, we all too often can twist our faith to conform to our politics. It's very, very easy because we spend more time like in the real world outside of church. We're in church for an hour or two on Sunday and the rest of the world, we're in the world. But I'm increasingly mindful there's a strain on the right – that is moving beyond Christianity and uh, moving beyond faith even while claiming to be of faith, but they really think politics is about owning the left, not about advancing God's kingdom on earth. There are more people out there on the right in a growing movement who are more interested in bringing people into a political tribe than into the kingdom of God. And I don't want to be the one of those people. And sometimes I run afoul of it. Sometimes I get way more partisan than I should. But, you know, I do pray for the president. Peter, the apostle Peter, St. Peter, was headed towards his execution and was telling people they needed to pray for the emperor, not against him. Now, a lot of you out there, because I've encountered some of you, You'll come up to me when I say this, and you'll say, well, I'm praying for the president to repent and change laws and, and otherwise leave me alone and maybe die. It's not what Peter was talking about. Pray for repentance for sure. But you also need to pray that the leader is an authentic instrument of God's will. you got to pray for their health. How many of you pray for Joe Biden's health? How many of you pray for his competent leadership. How many of you pray that he listens to God? You shouldn't be praying that they give us our way or get out of the way. But there are all these people on the right who claim to be of faith and they're ignoring all of this. They show up on Sunday, they go to church, they say, well, I'm a Christian. Now I'm going to go be a Republican for the rest of the week. You can't pray for your enemy on Sunday and then want to punch him on a Monday. You got to love your neighbor. So many progressive Christians have been treating like weepy emo Jesus as this idol. Oh, Jesus, he cries and he loves the kids and hangs out with sinners. And along come these people around like Jesus throws a punch, man. He, I mean, look what he did at the temple, cleansing the temple. We got to be like that. You're just m- m- making idols of an aspect of, of Christ. You know what he told you to do? He actually told you to do it. He told you to love your neighbor. He told you to do to others what you would have them do to you and to seek the welfare of your local community and pray for it in your leaders. And I just think that's kind of gotten lost lately among a lot of people in politics as we head into a general election season where we're fixable. I'm fixated on politics too. It's It's my job. But I at least want us to have some perspective here that you've got to love your neighbor and it's not hard. Or I'm sorry, it's not easy. It's very hard sometimes, particularly when your neighbor has in this house we believe black lives matter, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh my gosh, I got this. It'd be progressive. But you still got to love them. And you got to do to them what you want them to do to you. That's one of the revolutionary ideas in Christianity. Every single religion on planet Earth has a has a variety of the golden rule. did you know this? every religion does every single religion has a has a sort of golden rule and it's all all of them there's been a great I forget the name of the book, but it, it studied all of them. every religion has a golden rule. except in every other religion, it's don't do to people what you don't want them to do to you. Essentially don't treat people badly so that they they don't treat you badly. What Christianity says is is actually the opposite. You go treat people well, treat them as you want to be treated. And by the way, it doesn't mean they're going to. Do to others what you would have them do to you. And if they don't do to you what you've done to them, guess what? You have to keep doing to them what you want them to do to you. You can't suddenly treat them badly because they treat you badly. No, you have to keep doing to them as you would have them do to you because you have to love your neighbor. It's a profoundly revolutionary concept. doesn't exist in any other religion in that way. In every other religion, it's just don't treat people badly if you don't want to be treated badly. And I just think I'm, – I'm seeing people, friends of mine on social media, and they seem like they're performance artists and that they're performing online – and they're building themselves up as Christian influencers in politics, and they're doing it by treating others badly, by showing no grace. Where is the grace out there? It's the thing that sets Christianity apart from all other religions is, is this idea of grace, that we should affirmatively like, do good things to people. Mercy is to spare people from what they deserve. Grace is to give to people what they don't deserve. Where Where is the grace in politics right now on the right? Where are the Christians in politics who reflect that? And on the right, more and more, there's just this growing shrillness where you attack people for a political disagreement, not theological disagreement, and you attack them gracelessly because you don't like them because they don't line up with you. You feel betrayed because they were one time on your side politically and now they're not. It's just – it's we become performance artists on social media. We're distracted from saving souls because we're so busy building political parties. And, you know, you can build a political party and save souls, but when you do one at the expense of the other, you're going to fail at both. I guess what I'm really trying to say is I am growing increasingly concerned that social media is turning a lot of people, particularly people of faith, into performance artists and distracting us from our mission right now as the cycles and rhythms of the world suggest time is running out for our mission to share the gospel, love our neighbor, prepare our families for what's coming and i don't want us to lose that perspective that we've got a mission that's greater than going to vote and going to support a political party we've got a soul-driven mission and when we get so roped up into politics, we can forget that, and we shouldn't. we got to have that perspective. you got to be the happy warrior. And when you're in politics, you got to reflect your your values, not just for an hour or two on Sunday, but all week long. Love your neighbor and do to people what you would have them do to you, whether or not they reciprocate, and don't forget that. And also, don't forget to go to EdenPureDeals.com and order your three pack of the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. Don't you love that transition, folks? I can do these transitions. You go to the Eden Pure uh, Deals website, EdenPureDeals.com. You'll be greeted by a box asking for a discount code. And you put in that box Eric3, E R I C K three. And you will get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. You will save $200 and you'll get free shipping. They will eliminate odors. I know, after frying in the kitchen the other day, I keep one in, a, in my suitcase when I go to musty-smelling hotel rooms. I've used it in a rental car to wipe out odors. You go to EdenPureDeals.com, you use the discount code ERIC3, you get three of them for less than $200. I got my Apple Watch ordered. Thank you very much. I haven't upgraded in a couple of years. It was time. My batteries. Not lasting as well as it should. I actually do like the Apple Watch. And i got to say, it's I'm seeing more and more people, even the people who aren't big Apple fans, are getting the watches. They, they're great uh, for workouts and everything else. I use my alarm. So if you don't have one of these things, one of the things I really appreciate is it has a silent alarm. And it actually works very, very well. I use it every day where when you set the alarm to go off, it taps you. And the tapping becomes stronger and stronger, and you you wake up. Um, it's not like somebody's shaking you, but it's, it's distinctive enough it wakes you up. I have never slept through uh, the silent alarm. It just works. And so during commercial break, I made sure to order my Apple Watch. On Friday, I will order my brand-new iPhone 14 Pro. I actually have to get some for employees as well because – People's phones break, and I like for people to be able to blue, do blue chat bubbles. I, I don't like texting with the poorers and their green chat bubbles. <laughs> I, it's a line from a show. I kid, I kid, but really, who wants a green chat bubble when you could have the blue ones from Apple? All right, so tomorrow. Uh, we will have – there will be economic news out, uh, and we'll get a better sense of what the Fed is going to do, it sounds like, and I want to talk about that. The Dow, however, you should know at the end of the show today is up over about 450 points, NASDAQ about 230, S&P 500 up 69 points, and all of that comes on the heels of the definitive reporting from The Wall Street Journal. The Fed's going to raise rates about three-quarters of a percent – or three-quarters – yeah, three-quarters of a percent. And yet the markets are rallying for only the second time in about 14 days. The markets are up.